When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. As the government gets ready to finalise next week's budget, the opposition is setting out its stall and getting ready to protest. An historic census result in Northern Ireland for the first time, more people identify as Catholic rather than Protestant. Identity is interesting to figures there as well, but what it points to me is the, the, the growth in those of neither identity or neither religious affiliation. Uh, I, I detect a genuine sense that people want the Good Friday Agreement to work. Later on, we'll take a look at the stories that got you talking this week with our panel. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight a 48 year old woman has appeared in court charged with the murder of her two children in a in a car blaze in county westmeath five-year-old helmet denani and her younger brother michael were fatally injured on september 9th last their mother lynn egar appeared before a special sitting of mullingar district court tonight while our court supporter deborah naylor was there and joins us now deborah what can you tell us Yes, Claire. Well, Lynn Eager, as you said, appeared before Judge Bernadette Owens at that special sitting of Mullingar District Court tonight. The mother had been arrested by detectives yesterday investigating uh, the deaths of her children, five-year-old Thelma Denany and her younger brother, Michael Denany, who died in a car fire in Multifarnham earlier this month. Now, emergency services were called to that scene after a motorist uh, came upon the burning car, but the two children did not survive the blaze in court tonight. Detective Sergeant David Donnelly gave evidence of arrest, charge and caution. The Garda said the 48-year-old accused made no reply after caution when she was charged with two counts of murder and she is accused of murdering her two children, Thelma and Michael Donnelly at Lacken Multifarnham on September 9th. Uh, Miss Egar, who was dressed tonight in a wine top, she did not address the court during the brief hearing which lasted less than 10 minutes and she was granted legal aid following an application by her solicitor. There was no application for bail tonight as bail can only be applied for in murder cases in the High Court and the judge remanded her in custody to the DOCA Centre which is the women's unit of Mountjoy Prison to appear before Athlone District Court via video link next week. Deborah Naylor joining us tonight from Mullingar. Thank you for that. Well, the Taoiseach is due to speak at the United Nations General Assembly in the next few minutes. We can go live now to Zara King, who's at the UN in New York. Uh, Zara, what can you tell us about this upcoming speech? What's Micheál Martin likely to focus on? 
Good evening, Claire. Yes, well, we're coming to you from the media centre here at the United Nations, and you can see behind me here the screen is showing uh, the General Assembly, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin. It was due to speak about 15 minutes ago. There's been a slight delay on the schedule uh, that comes and goes. Obviously, yesterday, uh, Vladimir Zelensky came up a bit earlier than we expected, so today, Micheál Martin delayed by about 45 minutes just due to a bit of a backlog here this evening. And that speech due to take place at around half past 10 uh, Irish time, Claire. Look, it is expected that Micheál Martin is going to spend a little bit of time talking about Ireland's role on the UN Security Council outlining uh, the work that Ireland has done and uh, more that needs to be done. Uh, also, uh, similar to Simon Coveney when he addressed the UN Security Council today, we do expect that the Taoiseach will speak a little bit about his own first-hand experience of visiting Ukraine and uh, the impact it had. Simon Coveney taking the opportunity today, Claire, uh, to talk about some of the things that he had witnessed and that was something he'd mentioned yesterday, describing it as quite an emotional visit. Simon Coveney being the first uh, foreign minister to visit Kyiv uh, after the war broke out. Earlier today, uh, Simon Coveney uh, spoke about the fact that he had seen mass graves uh, and that you know civilians have been under attack and the uh, infrastructure have been damaged. And he talked about the impact that uh, the war is having on people's lives. So uh, we would fully expect that the Taoiseach will touch on something similar in his speech here at the UN uh, in the next hour. We can just take a listen to uh, the Taoiseach speaking this morning, saying that Ukraine would form the backdrop of this speech. Of course, the war on Ukraine is the dominant issue. It forms the backdrop to uh, the global situation, which is one of great uncertainty, gravity in terms of the impact of the war on human life, uh, on economic stability, uh, on migration, energy costs um, and a food crisis. Uh, so it's very, very serious. Well, Claire, a key focus here this week at the UN has been on accountability for what is happening in Ukraine. We expect that Taoiseach will mention that when he speaks in the next hour. Okay, Zara, thank you for bringing us up to date on that. Zara King live from New York for us tonight. Um, well, back home, the government are just a few days away from giving one of the most consequential budgets in years. Uh, they're trying to appease a country engulfed in a cost of living and housing crises. The opposition are planning protests. Thousands of people are expected to converge on Dublin over the weekend to make their feelings known. Nearly 100 years ago, uh, WB Yeats said, wrote, that this was no country for old men. Uh, if he was writing today in the face of a cost of living and housing disaster, he might well write, this is no country for older people, it's no country for younger people, it's no country for working people, it's no country uh, for people with disabilities or the vulnerable. But it is a country for profit-hungry energy companies, big corporations uh, and property vultures, uh, for the greedy uh, and the obscenely wealthy. Well, today, two opposition parties laid out their alternative budgets to tell the government what they think should be done to help. Let's discuss what they're looking for. I'm joined by Labour TD Jed Nash, Finnafall TD Jim O'Callaghan, Alison O'Connor, columnist at the Irish Examiner, and People Before Profit TD Paul Murphy. Um, first, because the alternative budgets came from both People Before Profit and the Labour Party, and we heard a little bit there from Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul. So um, we're going to come to you, Jed, first, if you don't mind, and just to give you a minute to lay out yeah. what Labour's alternative budget is. OK, uh, well, living standards, as we know, are falling uh, off a cliff. Uh, the reality is that this year and into next year, about 50% of all Irish households will end up experiencing fuel and energy poverty. We're in an unprecedented crisis. Well, this isn't a crisis like any other previous crisis. The difference now is that we are rich and we've got choices. 
The budget surplus uh, kind of jars with people. They know that their household budgets are under real pressure, but they've been told all of the time by the government that the country is doing really, really well. So today we launched a package, two separate packages, one a €4 billion euro, uh, series of investments uh, uh, to try to cut costs for people and ensure that we can target, for example, the extension of fuel allowance to several, many, many thousands of more homes and introduce a carbon credit worth 800 euros for working families across the country, people who have incomes of less than 60,000 euros. Separate to that 4 billion euro package, which is likely to be about a billion euro higher than the government package, we have an additional package of measures for next year to try to cut the cost of living and make some structural changes to okay. the way things are done in this Jed, country. your time is up. We didn't even get to childcare. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will come we back will. to that. Okay, we so will. that's your package of measures uh, in, in, a, in a minute nutshell, but we will expand on them so a little the further. The additional cost of living we measures for the rest of this year, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll get there. Um, Paul, if you will, a minute and, and stick to it because I'll cut you off. Sure. So I, I think that the crises that people are experiencing in terms of cost of living are rooted in a system based on profiteering. Um, that's the capitalist system. It's the same system of profiteering responsible for the ecological crises which we're facing. And what our budget does is it rejects that logic and it shows what can be done in the fifth richest country on earth if we reject that logic. So, for example, at the heart of our budget is a proposal to nationalise, renationalise the energy system, run it on a not-for-profit basis, in that way be able to have price controls and end the obscene profiteering. In relation to housing, if you reject the logic of the market of incentivising developers and landlords and instead have direct build by the states, by the state you can tackle the housing crisis. And in relation to the environmental crisis, you can improve people's lives and significantly reduce carbon emissions by implementing things like free expanded public transport and roll out retrofitting starting with attic insulation for the lowest income homes okay, in the state. Time's up. Um, so on that, okay, let's let's just get through a couple of those points. Um, a radical plan, I would say, Paul, that you're offering there because your budget in terms of the spend, you're, you're looking at a 25 billion euro in new tax measures and a spending package overall of 32.5 billion euros. So to put that in context, what's the government spending plan? What's it about 7.5? Well, we hope to see a budget package of around 10 billion, but you're right. Okay, uh, so we're looking at three, three times that. Okay, just Paul on that. Um, look, focusing in on energy first, because I think that that's, that's the big one, isn't it? Um, well, one of the big ones, there's, there's many really um, in this budget, but energy price caps, that's something you feel strongly about. Um, in terms of how that, that's going to cost a huge amount of money, isn't it, to the taxpayer? Um, in your view, why is it so important? I mean, people are in an absolute crisis situation. As Jed said, one in two families now experiencing energy poverty. When the winter hits and it's not far away, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be faced with a choice of heating or eating. It's why we need the maximum amount of people out on the streets this Saturday, half two at Parnell Square in Dublin. Um, but it's also why we need policies which reject the profiteering which is behind the crisis. So the government is going to spend about a billion euros on giving people 600 euros in energy credits. That can simply be eaten up by the electricity companies. They can say, thanks very much, we'll increase our prices, we'll take that. So we need to have price caps to prevent that happening. But in order for price caps not to be a blank check for private companies, we have to nationalise these companies, renationalise. We had the second lowest electricity costs in Europe when we had the ESB run on an off-for-profit basis. Okay. Now we have some of the most expensive. So we've allocated £2.5 to do that in terms of price caps and nationalisation. OK, so, I mean, this is a huge plan. Like, 
Mm -hmm. We know that the government is not going to go down or, or, or would that ever be contemplated a route of going down, well, nationalising um, the utility sector? Because they, that argument has been made that when we're, we are facing into things like a, a cost of living crisis, when people really have their pins to the collar, Jim, that actually everything should be looked at and maybe decisions that were made around privatisation and all of that are now coming back to bite when it comes to having to pay huge bills that really... If you don't have the money, you're really in a difficult position this well, winter. Well, where I agree with Paul and Jed is that this is going to be a very challenging budget. If you look at it, we're facing a cost of living crisis that we haven't seen in 50 years. We've got a war in Europe. That's the real challenge. But I suppose when you look at the macroeconomic situation, things have improved for the country. This time last year, the government was forecasting that there would be a deficit of 8 billion euro this year. We now find ourselves in a situation where there's a surplus of 6.3 billion. So what Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue have to do when they stand up next Tuesday is they have to do two things. First of all, they have to introduce measures that we'd expect to see in a standard budget, and I hope to see issues dealing with childcare. Yeah, I just want to say, payments. when you say things have actually improved in this country, that's not. I how... said the macroeconomic situation has yeah, improved. That, that, so there's more oh, money there for the government yeah, to be able to pay with than we thought the, this time the last sense, year. Would you agree, though, that the sense for many people and, and the thousands of people that we may see out in the streets this weekend is. They don't feel that. Of course. But that's why I was going to come to the second thing that has to be done in the budget next Tuesday, which is we've to introduce what we hope will be once-off measures that will deal with the cost of living crisis. And if you look at what the government has done in the year to date, we've introduced measures of 2.4 billion. And if you look at the energy cap or the energy credits that were introduced, they were effective. If you look at the fuel allowance that was introduced okay. in March and May last year, and, they also were we'll very also effective. And we'll also get on to your budget response. We will get there. Uh, vulnerable I want families. to bring in, what, what's Labour offering on this to, to target, I suppose, energy poverty? You're similarly looking at energy price caps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our, our thinking has evolved in this uh, actually over the last um, period of time. And the UK Labour Party, our counterparts across the water, proposed this uh, a couple of months ago. And it's an interesting proposition. And the reality is actually, we've come around to thinking now that it's something that the European Commission is probably likely to uh, reveal themselves in terms of the toolbox that they're working on at present. Just yesterday, Denmark have announced another uh, Country, a country that's run by a social democratic government. There are several Labour parties in government across Europe and they have reached for that particular tool. So now, initially, now you said you changed your tune. What, what was Labour's view prior on it? it, it, what, it what made it, you change it, your mind? It depends how it's done. There's a number of different ways of doing this. Uh, and our view is that if you're introducing a, a price cap, it needs to be done in terms of the wholesale price of gas because that feeds into then the price of electricity production and what's passed on then to the consumer. Now, that could be done in tandem. And last week, uh, it was rejected by uh, the teacher, Michael Martin, the idea of doing what we did actually in the 1970s under a discrete set of laws in the 1970s to essentially control oil. That's what we did in the 1970s. Mm. And 30 to 40% of our natural gas that we use actually for generation in this country actually comes from the car of gas The field. state is going Over to bring the cost now, down, now, though, just, like, have, just to yeah, make it you know, less technical uh, and just even, to explain even, it. Even apart from that, you know, on last January, I was talking about the idea of special windfall taxes on the hyper-profits of energy companies because this really jars with people seeing you know, these, these companies that are really you know, running rings around governments and our own government to date, uh, you know, getting away uh, with, with essentially scamming the people. And what we need to see now is actually 
the resources that we can gather from those kinds of windfall taxes, we believe, through costings we've, we've had back from the Department of Finance, I, that about €800 million Euro could be generated this year alone in okay. terms of windfall levy. That's on 2020 profits. Now, if you look at 2022 profits, you know, we could identify that to expand the fuel allowance system, to increase social welfare, which, which is what we plan to do, 20 okay. euro extra on social welfare next year, because what we need to do is, I think, break this notion that you know, governments every year, it's a third secret of Fatima, reveal to people what the social welfare increase would be. It needs to be indexed linked to the and rate we, of inflation. Uh, yeah, and we need to, so that there is no surprise on the day. Um, Alison, just on that and, and the measures being called for, like the argument is that this is a budget like no other. This is extraordinary and that the measures required this year are radical. That's why we're hearing views like Labour saying we didn't think about an energy price mm -hmm. cap, but you know what? Other European countries are doing it. Maybe it's not such a bad idea. Yeah, I think politically it's it's going to be very difficult for the government uh, not to go go down that road or, or to come up with a, a good explanation that people will understand why they don't. Now, the government is saying that to bring in a price cap is basically like writing a blank, blank check for the, for the energy companies. Uh, but when the public see it happening in so many other countries, it leaves it much more difficult to explain that. And also, I suppose you could argue that the that. energy credit, yeah. which could be 600 euro per household, yeah. will... Is also, yeah, but it's, you know, this is why a, a, a I suppose this there is an element of, of of listening to some of the conversation earlier, or even in terms of um, uh, what we've heard from uh, from Paul and from Jed. Like the the budget hasn't happened yet, you know. I mean, so there there let's wait and see what the government does do. I mean, there is it is going to be an enormous amount of money on Tuesday, whatever way you slice and dice it, and there's a lot that hasn't yet been agreed. I've don't think I've ever really seen a budget like it in terms of the expectations. Um, and that's over many, over a, watching politics over a number of decades. So I think that the government is on a bit of a loser in that on one level, the positives are the economy is going well. We have record-breaking level of, of very, employment. Very, high expectations. The expectations yeah. are enormous. All right, Jim, I um, just want to bring you in on another big issue, and that's around housing um, and within this cost of living spiral mm -hmm. is the issue of rents. And I think both um, parties, all parties, of course, have proposals around that. Um, it was hinted at today that this idea of, of a rental credit for renters may be something that the, the government will look at. I know Sinn Féin mooted it, but we heard Leo Varadkar talking about it. I would like to see something like that in the budget for renters, Claire. I don't know whether it's going to be in it, but certainly I know the urgings of the Fianna Fáil party to Michael McGrath has been to try to do something for renters uh, in this budget. But I suppose one of the advantages as well of the uh, Housing for All project that was introduced last year is we're committed to spending four billion a year on housing. So there's no issue this year about how much is going to be spent on housing. We know it's going to be uh, four billion. Just in terms yeah, of the... Just on that rent, renters credit, because I said, look, that's one thing, but I think it was... Um, you know, um, the Economic Commission found that by introducing a credit that actually then you could see in the rental market a market rise. What Sinn Féin and opposition parties would call for then is a rent freeze. Is that something that could be on the cards, that could be under consideration? Well, let's, let's just here. see. I don't know what's going to be in the budget next Tuesday. Mm. Uh, no one in government other, I think, than Michael McGrath, the Tánish, the Taoiseach and Pascal, don't even know that. So I can't give any assurance to you in respect to that. But I do know that government is very aware of the pressures that people renting properties are under and something has to be done for them. But can I just say in terms of the uh, 
energy cap that was mentioned earlier on. Listen, obviously a windfall tax on these companies would be very helpful and I know the European Union is looking at that. But we also need to recognise that in Ireland we import 70% of our fossil fuels and we're still hugely mm. dependent upon fossil fuels. We're not in a position to set caps on how much we pay for fuels that we import. Well, I guess what it does is the state pays to bring the cost yeah, down. No matter what way you look at it, whether it's Jed's or Paul's proposal, ultimately the taxpayer is going to pay for this. Well, and what the government has done previously okay. in terms of the energy credit is we've decided, listen, let's give this individual energy credit to households along Sorry, with the fuel allowance. Do you want to come in on that one, Paul? Sure. I mean, people are paying for it right now. That's the reality in terms of their bills that they simply can't afford to pay. I mean, we're seeing projections of bills of €6,000 for people, whereas what's being reported as a government proposal is €600. So it's completely inadequate. So the, there is, I mean, the biggest profiteering that's taking what place... What about that argument that's made that it's like, it's very open-ended. It's easier for government to say, look, €600... Uh, per household, like and we we can review that again. We can look at it sure, again. But, but, if you introduce but these rental, but, but or if you the introduce these energy euros, price caps, then you're certainly going the two, to. We had the two hundred euros this year. Now we're facing six hundred euros. The government will come under more pressure again to do more. So theirs is also open ended. So we, we think the best way to do it is to take it out of the private market, yeah. have price controls. <clears> in that way, eliminate the profiteering happening here. It's true you'll still have to buy fossil fuels on the international market. That's where the cost comes that's in. Not that's true. That's, but there's big but profiteering happening were, here. SSE electricity, board Even gosh. if you were to go ahead with that. Um, which I think is, is is a little fanciful myself. But I think even if you were to, that wouldn't be helping anyone this winter or next of winter. Of course it would. When we're but why wouldn't it? Because you, you we can, can have, have the, the yeah. I mean, okay, so how quickly okay, are, quick so are you going to do that? The government can introduce price controls tomorrow with two strokes no, of a pen. But in terms of privatising, can say, they can't. But can. you can do that. Okay. They can do that right now and then the, the All right. and, we, and then we, you nationalise them. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Briefly, because... With the Labour government in Germany... Has just nationalised oil refineries this week. Something that was absolutely unconscionable. No, 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 yeah. no, it absolutely does. But this is the direction of it. See, see there's, there's an unwillingness, whether it be the housing market or whether it be any other aspect of economic life, for, for this government, which is a central government. That's fair enough. You know, uh, mm. and you're elected but what to do, do a job. To actually intervene Jim in has the market. pointed out how much so we have to import we, of our energy. Uh, so uh, what uh, is it that we that, that we're uh, nationalising that would I'm make saying, that much of a difference? You know, does it, it's a, is this a case of Irish exceptionalism? You know, that, that Ireland somehow stands removed from the rest of the European Union. We have had now, I think, at the last count, about ten. European Union states, most of them are run by social democratic governments, deciding to take this approach. Now, neither are we connected to the European interconnector ourselves, and Cyprus mm. are the only countries that aren't. Mm. And the European Commission have given signals that some exceptions okay. can be made for Ireland in that regard, which is understandable. One of the things I think that we're forgetting here as well is this, right? There are companies closing today uh, because they can't afford the gas. But there's a company in, in, in my own hometown of Drogheda, heavy manufacturing plant, closing yes. because their gas bill is 5 and million. you want so to see a special energy, energy, energy wage subsidy scheme, I think, around that. That's what Labour will see. Now, Look, the I argument want... would be, well, we're near full employment. This is actually about protection. Right. Right. Everyone's aware of the problems. We need can to see I, the solutions. Can I move on to another big, another big subject that I think, you know, Labour, you certainly want to tackle this. This is around childcare. Certainly people for profit are looking for free childcare. Labour is saying maximum cap on childcare costs of €200 Euro a month. Um, certainly, Jim, on that, on this, this is where people 
really, I think, you know, right. families and working families would really like to see some action. Yeah. And if you look at the budget last year, there was a very big start made in terms of financial contribution from the state to childcare. And we hope to see more of that. But this nothing year. like, you're not looking like at anything like the radical measures that Labour Claire. are calling for, which is cap it at 200 euro, which... That only costs 250 million euros. Claire, right. you may, I, I haven't seen the budget. I don't know what's in the yeah. budget. I'm just interested you, in this, because Leo Bradker did say when it was put to him about the Labour proposals, that there's capacity constraints in childcare sector if you reduce the cost, demand then rises and the system simply can't c- cope with it. I mean, what would, what would Labour say to that argument? No, no, actually, the w- w- one of the big issues in the early years sector has been the retention of very experienced and qualified staff. And I introduced a series of wage setting laws a number of years ago that actually sip to uh, and the uh, professional uh, educators and the um, operators in the childcare sector uh, under a scheme organised by Minister Roderick O'Gorman, to his credit. They've come together now to, to, to generate, you know, minimum statutory rates of pay. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. in the sector that are going to be really, really important for retention and attract more people into work in what's a okay. critically important sector. So, for, for so you think it's doable? Just, 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 just briefly, you do believe that that is doable within this budget or, or the government well, approach Gorman are kind of staggering to, it? To, to his credit, that, and, and we, we have different views about how this might be approached, uh, and, and one of Ivana Bacic's signature propositions is that there should be a reduction, a very meaningful reduction in my own constituency. It's costing about €1,000 a month yeah. for an average family to uh, have you know, uh, childcare for their mm-hmm. children. And couples are making a decision then about who works and yeah. who doesn't, and that's not right. It's certainly something that is uh, critically, I think, coming into focus right now. Um, there's, we will hear so much more about all of this, even ahead of the budget uh, next Tuesday. But for now, we're, we're going to move on to another big story, and that's... Uh, the census and, and um, what emerged in the Northern Ireland of census, because for the first time since partition, the number of Catholics living in the North outnumbers Protestants. Uh, that's according to those latest census figures from the North, which show nearly 46% of the population identifies as Catholics, 43.5% identifying as Protestants. On this one, Alice, Alison, you'd agree, a historic change, yeah. symbolic or more significant than that? 
Now, I actually think it's 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 a seminal moment in its own way, and I think that it, you know a lot of people would have been despairing about the Good Friday Agreement maybe in in recent times, and you know not in terms obviously of the lives that it saved, but where does it stand now, or or what's going to happen? The fact that the Assembly. Uh, isn't sitting and that that politics in the north just seems to be at such an impasse. Whereas what I think that those figures today show, which which were, were fascinating, is what in many ways has been allowed to blossom as a result of the Good Friday Agreement and the and the fact that people are no longer being killed on a daily basis mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland. That figure where you have about people, 19.8% of people identifying as Northern Irish only. I mean, the way identities in the north, it was just almost set in concrete. Mm -hmm. And what we see from those figures today now is that softening and that the way that the way people are, are able to move out of just the simple either, you know, nationalist or, or yeah. loyalist. So it, for me, then it, it makes it really interesting what Sinn Féin are going to make of this. I one of the more fascinating aspects for me, if Sinn Féin get into the government, get into government here after the next election is how they would go about um, this, what they say is their main task of wanting to have a referendum. And this actually clearly, I think, complicates that, that for them. Okay. Um, do, do you agree that this makes it uh, more complicated, Jim, um, about this talk of a border poll? They can't, they can't have that talk until there's, there's a, minority, a majority or it's seen as being, um, you know, something that, that could come about. Is it really on the horizon? Well, listen, I think historically it's of great significance what happened today. When you think of how Northern Ireland was established, it was established for the specific purpose of ensuring that mm -hmm. Protestants in the northeastern part of the island would retain a majority permanently within the state. So that has ended. It's of historic significance. I hope it's not enormously politically significant, however, because I want to see a united Ireland. I'm very passionate about the united Ireland, but I just don't want to see a united Ireland arising as a result of a sectarian headcount. I don't see a united Ireland come about the same way that Northern Ireland came about, where there was simply a majority of Protestants over Catholics, and that's how it was determined. Mm. I want to see United Ireland on the basis that people north and south recognise that their shared vision, irrespective of their religion, is in a unified state. Now, in terms of what's the pathway ahead for it, I would have thought preparation needs to come in respect of what this new United Ireland would look like. We can all talk about our aspiration for it, but at some stage, individuals have is to say... Is there talk about it in Fianna Fáil? Yeah, I mean, is there that, is. I there's mean, a lot of talk in Fianna Fáil. There's a lot you, of talk everywhere about it. Do you think it. there's a lot of political talk about it? Do you think that preparation that Jim is talking about it, it is there? Is it something, you know, the Labour Party are discussing? It, is it something that's on, it, on it, the it agenda? It absolutely is. It's something that the trade union movement is talking about. It's something that everybody, I think, in, in, in the country is, is talking about. And the, the big thing that As I got from today... As a popular and positive yeah, move no, uh, in the future? Absolutely. But, you know, those of us who want to see a united Ireland by consent, uh, I think, should reflect on, on, on today's um, statistics. The most interesting one is the question of identity. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is persuade, and there's a job of work to, for nationalists and republicans, to persuade those from the centre ground and indeed unionists who may be reluctant to join a, a united Ireland as to what the benefits would be. And actually, we have a job of work to do ourselves. Right. Now, Jim, Jim would agree as well, and everybody, I hope, would agree. We have a job of work to do as well to describe what the offering is to, to unionism right. and to make sure that okay. we can actually vindicate their rights and their identity in, in what, what I would hope would be a future united Ireland. That delicate balance. All right, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Paul Murphy, uh, Jim O'Callaghan and Jed Nash. Alison will be staying on with me as we take a look through the stories that caught our eye this week, including protests in two countries not normally used to dissent. Stay with us.
Welcome back. We can take you live to New York now. The Taoiseach is currently speaking at the UN General Assembly. Let's listen in. Much of the progress that we were making towards achieving these sustainable development goals has stalled or gone into reverse as we grapple with the continued effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. It does not have to be this way. We have the tools and the systems to address these issues. We have in this General Assembly and in the other bodies, institutions and agencies that make up the United Nations. The spaces to discuss, to negotiate, to share experiences, to craft solutions. We have an interlocking web of charters, of treaties, of norms, of resolutions, of international jurisprudence, of political declarations, of agreed conclusions. Our global structures are not perfect. We know that. No structures ever are. There is much that needs reform. But it is not our systems. And that's uh, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin, who's speaking in front of the UN General Assembly. Uh, it's a big moment, isn't it, for Micheál Martin, Harry? It's a very big moment, and he has chosen that moment perhaps to deliver maybe the most powerful speech that he has given as Taoiseach, only two and a half months shy of standing down. I had a chance to look at the script um, before um, he, he uh, delivered it, and it's a powerful excoriation of the international commun community uh, for its impuissance, for its inability to tackle some of the big systemic mm -hmm. global issues of our time, ranging from climate change uh, to war. And he instanced the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, making a kind of a mockery of the sense of United Nations, of a collective of over 150 nations combining together to make a, a better world. He said that the Security Council, just, you know, I mean, Russia can essentially veto anything on the, on the Security Council, and it has vetoed some of the proposals that Ireland has put forward to just to, to, to uh, help uh, some countries in terms of the humanitarian needs in the past year. He instanced Palestine and the illegal Israeli settlements, and he also instanced uh, Tigray last year, uh, which exploded into the most extraordinary and vicious civil war. And he essentially said that the United Nations, despite having mm -hmm. all the tools, despite having all the intents, despite having the charter, was almost powerless to do anything about it. So essentially, the thrust or theme of his speech is just it's just not good enough from the United Nations. I think it's okay. quite a, a powerful speech from the Taoiseach in that context. Yeah, strong sentiments there from the Taoiseach. He's taking his moment, I suppose, and, and using it when uh, the eyes of the, the world um, are on him and all eyes too on what's going on and, and what's happening in Russia on foot of what President Putin ordered about this mobilization of these reserve um, forces, upping the ante um, in his eyes. But the, the, the protests that have taken place, certainly it's a really brave move for people to protest on the streets of Russia. Um, and the fallout from that just shows um, how, how maybe the sentiment against this war is growing there. To, to briefly pick up on what Harry said, I think that it, it does also show, I suppose, 
that that thing that Ireland is known for in terms of of being the the honest broker. And while we've had much discussion about the, our, our neutrality and where that stands, I suppose in a circumstance like this, it gives the words that the Taoiseach, in the Taoiseach speech even more weight, if you like, given our relatively neutral stand, mm. even though I know we've got much further in with Ukraine. Uh, with regard to what you're saying to the protests in Russia, it really does seem, and listening to people who are inside Russia, like the, the winds the winds are changing there. But it's very hard to get a, a proper grasp on that. Uh, but you certainly do, do have that sense. And for all that Harry has said, and I agree with, um, with the, the many shortcomings of, of the UN having, having really been shown up by this, mm-hmm. it is still heartening to see that all these months later, there is such unity amongst the international community in terms of standing behind Ukraine. Admittedly, maybe come January, when there maybe is more of a fuel crisis, inflation, things will be more tested. But I think it's very heartening to see that that unity is still there. Um, Yeah, I mean, on that, um, Dara, and and just referring back to that speech that that, uh, Vladimir Putin gave, sorry, introduce the rest of our panel because Dara Cassidy, (laughs) who's head of communications at bankers.ie, has joined me. And of course, Harry McGee is here, political correspondent from the Irish Times. Busy night tonight, folks. But Dara, look, just to to come back to you on, on, um, you know, Putin and this nuclear war threat Mm. that was hinted at there, um, you know, is that something I suppose the West is taking seriously? Is that something that is is worrying, do you think, for people here, for people elsewhere in Europe? Or, you know, is there a sense that this could happen? Um, or is that just the fear that you think you'd like to instill um, in people as this war continues on? I'm, I mean, I'm still relatively young, but I didn't think in my lifetime I was going to see the threat of nuclear war in, in Europe, which is what could potentially happen. It is absolutely an unprecedented situation. We knew that there was, was always a possibility, potentially. The fear, though, with Putin is that he is not a man that seems to have his senses together, although you'd have to argue he didn't have his senses to even go into Ukraine in the first place. Mm. But having a man in his maybe mental incapacity, having such huge nuclear warheads, is it, it, just, you know, it's just frightening. And um, you well, just there's fear. also the argument that he knows exactly what he's doing, and uh... I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think he cares what he's doing. That's my yeah. fear that it's a man who maybe is sick mentally, physically. There's been lots of questions around his health, and you just wonder if he's a politician who just actually doesn't care the consequences of what he does, whether he dies, whether everyone else dies. It mm. could just be his last roll of the dice. And mm. um, you know, we talked about uh, protests taking place in Russia. There have been protests in Iran as well mm. this week, Alison, and they've spread rapidly um, across the country. Um, you know, there has been unrest in the country for years, but this has really uh, blown up now. Um, have, have you been following the story? Again, go, going back to what I was saying about Russia, it is difficult to get a, a, a proper sense of what is going on. But I mean, it really, it feels like this could really turn into mm. a moment. And just, this is a sort of a, a side role to it today, but I was very heartened to see even that Christina Mampapur, the, um, the very well-known uh, journalist and presenter and far correspondent with CNN, refused to wear a headscarf. She was a long-standing arrangement to interview the Iranian president in New York. And she said that, I think, in other countries, if she's in a country where women are expected to wear the headscarf, 
she would do it. But this this instance, she said, no, I'm not. And the interview didn't happen. And I think that that is something, again, that 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 adds to the to the, the pressure, to the pressure that's there. And I suppose even if, if women back in Iran get to hear that sort mm. of thing, it certainly stiffens their, their Yeah, result. And the person at the centre of this story, 22-year-old Masa Amini, um, a, a Kurdish woman from the, the uh, who died in hospital following three days in a coma. And I think she was arrested by morality police officers who accused her of violating the law. Mm. Um, which requires women to cover their hair with a hijab or a headscarf. And that's what's prompted um, all these protests that have now taken place in, in quite a significant move. I want to move back home. Um, the big story this week was around what happened in Cherry Orchard, um, the scenes we saw there. And I suppose on this one, Harry, uh, there was kind of a split camp when this video emerged and when the conversation then, you know, played out about guard resourcing on the one hand, um, who's responsible, and also then around community resources and social deprivation. Yeah, but at the centre of it, there was uh, behaviour that was egregious and mm -hmm. terrible and heartless. And I mean, I was quite shocked to, to see that behaviour and those that were responsible for ramming the gore of the car those who were responsible for videoing it and uh, should be brought to justice. And those who kind of stood around videoing it should have a, a long look at themselves. And the difficulty is that you'll have a small group of unrepresentative people who suddenly become the symbol or the, the, the illustration of that entire community. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we all know, that's never uh, true and never even partially true. And then there are other questions, as you say, that have come to bear during the course of the week about Gorda resources. And we've heard that Ballyferma Gorda station just has, has had 18 people who have transferred, who have left over the past number of years. They don't have a holding cell there at present. So there's a question about Gorda resources. And there are also questions about the community. And that's a kind of a more holistic or a wider question in, in relation to how do you ensure that communities like that uh, are, are in a position to thrive uh, mm. rather than to kind of fall into the kind of the traps uh, that uh, bring forth uh, such uh, behaviour. But I think that it's, it's important that we don't lose sight on the events themselves yeah. and that those who were uh, involved in those events should be held responsible for them in a court of law. I, I agree. I think it was absolutely reprehensible behaviour. Um, as Harry was saying, this has kind of fallen on two sides. There's a side that thinks the government is to blame, society is to blame, anyone but the people doing the crimes were to blame. And then other people who say, well, do you know what? There's never been more investment in services. There's never been more jobs. There's never been more opportunity. There has never been more uh, money being spent on social services. And ultimately what happened was, was, was assault. Two female Garda were in a car. They were assaulted. And I don't think no matter how rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, no matter who you are, an assault is an assault, and I think it should be called out. And I hate playing identity politics, but equally, you know, this was a, a white Irish community as well, so you couldn't even say maybe or give the excuse that it was some type of ultra-disadvantaged immigrant community maybe where people were even worse off. Some of these people actually probably do have jobs and they actually are doing okay for themselves. And we need to highlight, of course, that it is only, yeah. it's a minority of people I, I, that did this, but it's assault ultimately. Yeah, yeah and I'm not sure... You know, yeah, which brings bring that element yeah, into it. I yeah. mean, like, the, the question that, pe that has been posed as well is that, like, would... You're not likely to see this happen 
in Clontarf or Balls Bridge or yeah, no, I, it, you know other indeed. areas and some of and these other, other some parts of the country yeah, necessarily. This was mainly young people, right? So, some of them apparently, from what I've listened to and read, as young as thirteen. So I mean, I don't think you can, you know, there's obviously something that's going wrong, if, if you like, systemically. And I absolutely agree that you can't have, there have to be consequences, you know, no matter what, even, even, even if you're at home and you're, you're raising a family within that family structure, there, you know, everybody is expected to behave within a certain way and that there are consequences if you don't. So there has to be an element of that. I mean, anyone who saw that video would have been just appalled and the notion of thinking of, of those two guards mm -hmm. as they were in there. But the next thought you had was, if this has been happening there regularly, which we hear it has, how in the name of God were there two guards in basically a family saloon? Yeah. When I heard that there was one guard the car for Ballyfermot at Clondalkin, I mean, that sort of stuff is. So it has to be... It has to be, yes, there are consequences, but yes, there's obviously a lot of social issues going on out there and it needs an awful lot of resourcing. different resourcing and different responses to sort it out. Because whatever about those involved, then the notion that these communities are being subject to that on a nightly mm -hmm. basis, is it's appalling and it's, it's, a, it's a trauma and it's, it's simply not and right. And it was only it the fact, on. as you say, that this video emerged that we are all talking about yeah. it now and that it is still in the news. We'll have to leave it there, but lots more coming up after this break, so stay with us. Welcome back, Harry, Dara and Alison still with me. And we're going to continue on looking at the big stories of the week. Um, on to ploughing, record attendance. You've wow. been down there, Yeah, I was Harry, there yesterday. as was I. Um, what, what do you make of it? I mean, sheer, the sheer scale of it and the crowds. 115,000, I think, for over the last yeah. couple of days. And most of them are politicians, from what I could see yesterday. Every politician <laughs> in the I country. When I say over the last, like per day. I mean, it's a three, massive 300,000 over three days. It's a huge event. Uh, 1,700 stands, I think they have 35 kilometres of tracks uh, and every conceivable agricultural machine is there, every tractor you is there. You missed that rain, it has to be said. <laughs> that was today, absolutely. It was yeah. a beautiful day yesterday. And then the ploughing itself takes place. So it's a, it's, a, it's a massive, comprehensive celebration of Irish rural life in all its best guises. And it's just fascinating. And I'm not from the country. I mean, I went to a farm when I was a teenager, but I found it to be fascinating. I think that every primary school kid in big cities like Dublin, Cork, uh, Galway, Limerick and Waterford uh, should be taken on school tours just to experience it for themselves because it shows you mm. Irish rural life in its best possible uh, uh, guise. And farmers there, like one of the big topics down there, Dara, you know, behind all the, you know, the ploughs, mm -hmm. the machinery uh, and the, the crack that was to be had was about these rising energy yeah. costs and how farm, the farming community is really feeling the hit there. Yeah, and they probably even haven't fully felt the hit because a lot of the price increases, well, one of them has yet to come into effect. So Electric Ireland, Borgosh are increasing their prices by about 30 to 40% next month. So when people get their November and December bills for September and October, I think people are just going to be absolutely shocked. So there's a lot of expectation on the budget on Tuesday to see what the government can do. But unfortunately, it's not going to be able to um, support everyone or shield everyone from the price increases that we've seen but it's just wonder about a lot of businesses coming into this winter. 
Um, the other big story this week, at the start of this week, was uh, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II that took place. It followed days of mourning and all that queuing, of course, coming to this culmination of a massive event with all the pomp and ceremony that you would expect, Alison. I have to admit that I almost went out of my way not to watch it on Monday because I was just worn out from it. And I mean, I had great respect for the Queen, for her dedication to mm. duty, all of that. But I think over the 10-day period, it was extraordinarily long. I did watch it on the news. I was actually in the US uh, on the day that she died and for a couple of days afterwards. And it was extraordinary, the level of coverage it got there. Hours upon hours, no detail was too small. And it did strike me that it is worth, it will be worth billions, if this doesn't sound a little distasteful, uh, to, the, to the British tourism industry uh, in the years to come. I mean, sweeping landscape shots, castles, guys in, in uniform... But you I think know, it was, it was amazing. That was on show. It was really, really impressive. I think some would say, monikers would say, you know, really it's a picture of servitude <laughs> as well. When you look at all the staff yeah. um, and everything that surrounded, surrounds I, I, this I mean, family, it's, British, it's really quite incredible. The British know how to plan big events, whether yeah. it's the Olympics, whether it's a funeral. I was at the World Championships there in London a few years ago. They really do know how to do big events really, really well. So they yeah. need to be commended for that. Uh, also, the royals having to, to reassemble, uh, really, here, Harry now, and Charles, maybe the reluctant king, focus now on the he's future of the monarchy king. there. He's, how is he a reluctant king? He's been waiting he to be king. seems a little bit cranky now in the role, like, kind of trying to yeah, well, I think find it, his feet. I kind of felt sorry for them because there were like a week of, of the most tedious ceremony to go through. I, 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 looked at the, I looked at the funeral procession on Monday. I went in from work at 10 in the morning to have a look at television and they were walking up along Hyde Park. I went in, did work, had lunch, went back to work for a couple of hours, <laughs> looked back again in the afternoon and they were still marching up Hyde Park. And I mean, it was just, it just went I suppose to me. Why, I suppose that's why they've all the millons and billions. Um. Yeah, that, 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 to me, it seemed to go on for, forever. I think the okay. Queen was an amazing yeah. uh, woman, mm. uh, having said that. And I think the, what, what she did in terms of her contribution to the peace okay. process can never be forgotten. But beyond that, the royal family wouldn't be my chosen specialist subject there. All right, there we'll have to leave it. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram tonight, BMTV. Uh, head over to Virgin Media 2 now because the group chat is about to start. But from all the late team here, good night and take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.